Hello, and welcome back to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Naomi Kling. And I'm Max Hogan. On this week's show, we'll begin by taking a look at the latest headlines in startup news. Then we'll chat with Isabel Robles. She's been working on stories of resilience among entrepreneurs, and she just hosted a webinar on the subject with experts from across the state. After that, we'll check in with Phyllis Ellison, the Executive Director of Investment West, about how the annual investment event has pivoted online, along with what it means for startup investing. And finally, we will give you our digits, the numbers that matter in Missouri startup news. All right, Naomi, let's speak startup. I don't know about you, but I got that email from University of Missouri saying they do plan on having in-person classes this fall. What do you think about that? I think it's really interesting, Naomi. I know that some universities, like Boston University on the East Coast, uh, has said that they may not even have classes until spring of 2021. So it's really interesting in the Also, I know that Washington University in St. Louis has furloughed up to 1,300 employees. So that's another big hit on uh, Missouri Higher Education University. Yeah, I know University of Missouri will at least stay remote until the end of the summer, but obviously that doesn't affect you or me too much just because we'll both be graduated by then. But with that, we might as well get straight to our headlines. Governor Mike Parson has said most businesses across the state will be allowed to open on May 4th. Kansas City will remain closed until mid-May, though, and St. Louis County has extended its stay-at-home order indefinitely. Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas has extended the city's stay-at-home order until May 15th and said he wants to open businesses back up, but, quote, the trade-off cannot be someone losing their parent, partner, child, or friend to COVID-19. A group of St. Louis fashion organizations has launched a social media campaign to raise funds for retailers hurt by COVID-19. About 100 retailers in the region are participating in the hashtag 314Fashion campaign, which started earlier this week, to sell paraphernalia and donate a percentage of the proceeds to the Gateway Resilience Fund. Charlie Hustle has stopped producing its signature KC Heart t-shirts during the pandemic. But the Kansas City apparel maker is putting those trademark hearts on something else, face masks. Charlie Hustle has launched a campaign called Masks for KC with plans to produce 100,000 protective masks. The company will donate one mask for every mask that is purchased. Techstars Startup Weekend is going remote in an effort to adapt to social distancing requirements. Startup Weekend is typically a three-day event during which teams try to launch new products and solve real-world problems. It's held at different times in cities all across the globe. Now, starting Friday, more than 10,000 people are expected to join an online version of the event in both the East Coast and West Coast versions to account for the different time zones. Those interested from Missouri will take part in the East Coast competition. Organizers said they hope to have an in-person event in Kansas City this upcoming fall.
lot of industries have been put on hold during the COVID-19 pandemic, and entrepreneurs are no exception. We have joining us MBA reporter Isabel Robles. Thanks for joining us, Isabel. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So you hosted Speaking Startup last semester. So welcome back. <laughs> and now you've just hosted the Resilience and Business webinar with Missouri Business Alert. What was the goal of this panel? Yeah, so as an organization, Missouri Business Alert, um, we produce a lot of stories for the business community. And oftentimes that can also mean um, notifying the community of support or new accelerators or organizations of that type, um, especially when you're covering kind of within the entrepreneurship side of the business landscape. Um, so kind of going in that direction, we wanted to bring together a group of panelists from support organizations to kind of discuss common issues that entrepreneurs are facing during the pandemic, um, as well as resources that they are providing and the support that they are making available to entrepreneurs. And then, of course, um, what the communities around these businesses can do to help um, the more vulnerable, smaller, uh, earlier stage businesses. Um, so, like I said, we just wanted to talk with people who are working to support all sorts of entrepreneurs all across the state. So we were lucky to have panelists from various cities across the state to join us and talk about these things. Now, a big topic that we've spoken about is funding, especially from the U.S. Small Business Administration relief loans. Can you explain more about what the panelists had to say about kind of this search for relief? Right, of course. So, I mean, every panelist mentioned that, you know, you can't ignore the fact that funding is a main concern and issue of a lot of entrepreneurs and um, earlier stage businesses. A big part of this relief funding is PPP. Um, which is the Paycheck Protection Program uh, released from the Small Business Administration um, as part of their relief loans. So Paige Oxendine, who's from the E-Factory in Springfield, gave a really good explanation of that government relief program. So that was part of the stimulus package that was rolled out. Um, you know, the money did run out very quickly. And so the intent there is that business owners would receive relief funds so that they could continue to keep their employees on payroll. Um, even if their business is closed and they are not, you know, physically in the space working day to day. So the first round of funding uh, that she mentioned has already been tapped out. So really, as we're speaking right now, Congress is voting on a second wave of funding um, that would be $310 billion. Now, Isabel, there's a sense that these resources are not necessarily easily accessible for all entrepreneurs across the state. Is that true? Right. No, that's exactly right. Um, there's definitely a general consensus across the panel that although resources are out there, not everyone is necessarily benefiting equally. Um, so mentioned were concerns about the availability of resources in more rural areas, um, whether that be mid-Missouri or in the southwest region of the state um, near Springfield. Um, and then also Jesse Yankee with the Missouri Women's Business Center mentioned that many minority groups, which also include women, um, have faced these struggles. And these struggles were apparent even before the pandemic, but now perhaps we're noticing them a little bit more. The gaps that we're seeing that are being um, highlighted have always been there. They're just mm -hmm. amplified right now. And I mean, I really hope a study is done, a third party study on who received PPP loans, because I would love to see the breakdown of women and minorities that got those loans. And you guys see me getting all passionate again now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for our, uh, capital, for our businesses that either relaunch or are going to start up, access to affordable microloans is key. 
So I hope that this is amplifying with our bank partners and, and new partners about the need for capital that's affordable and it's inflexible um, for, our, for our startup. So how are these support organizations that these panelists were representing, how are they finding ways to help entrepreneurs during this change of the normal? You know, so as everyone's kind of moving online and working remotely, uh, these support organizations have also had that opportunity. And Jesse Yankee said that with the Missouri Women's Business Center, um, they had had a hope for a while to be doing webinars and be kind of uh, able to help out uh, virtually in that way. And now it's kind of forced that goal to take place. And also eFactory has started doing an Ask Me Anything or an AMA series um, where they recognize that networking that you might typically get in a more physical um, meeting like opportunity or getting to meet other people is, is not as possible now um, as we are all at home and trying to stay safe. So they provided an opportunity where they can kind of have experts or business owners be able to answer questions from local businesses and kind of help local businesses still continue to expand their network, even if it's done virtually. Um, and then most SourceLink um, also conducted a survey of entrepreneurs across the state um, that aimed on identifying the biggest needs and concerns. Um, so to help potentially plan for the future and provide that data to uh, people who are enacting policy change. Now, did they have any advice on how entrepreneurs and startups too should be adapting during this pandemic? A big thing that businesses can do to be resilient is pivot their business to do things more essential in this time. Uh, so, for example, clothing companies could start making face masks um, or people in kind of the maker community um, who are 3D printing and whatnot um, could start to create personal protective equipment. Alexis Bartley with Mo SourceLink in Kansas City said that even if you aren't able to switch your services, that you can consider changing how you would provide them to still be able to reach your customers. Taking on additional debt is not an option for, for many businesses. Um, so I need to find a way to reach my customers and deliver my products and or services in a way that is allowed uh, with social distancing. So I want to bring the topic back to resilience. That is the name of the webinar. What does some of that resilience look like across the state that some of these panelists might have mentioned? Yeah, it became clear as we were talking and even stated that even before the pandemic, entrepreneurs have always by nature been a resilient bunch. Um, they've had to kind of be creative in how they're starting their businesses and weren't necessarily doing things how they've always been done. Rather, they were thinking of new ideas and kind of going from there. Um, so as Paige Oxendine said from eFactory, that a lot of entrepreneurs already have had these experiences and traits um, that were necessary for them to kind of get through the hardship of being an entrepreneur just in general. Uh, and then also Cheryl Watkins Moore with BioSTL in St. Louis uh, sort of built on that idea more. People of color, women and immigrant populations have always been entrepreneurial in some sense because they have not been able to get access to traditional resources like majority entrepreneurs have. I've co-founded three companies myself, so I'm not talking about this as just a resource um, supporter. I've been on that side too. And entrepreneurs, we are crazy. <laughs> we are tenacious. <laughs> um, we are ones that, you know, if it comes down to, you know, you tell me to go left, I'm going right because that's, that's the path that I want to go on. 
Of course, it's a tough time for entrepreneurs all across the country. What were some of the rays of hope during this discussion? Right. It was, it was great. We got to learn about just a couple of compelling stories that they shared of businesses that are successfully pivoting, of course. Um, so people brought up businesses that are shifting their products um, in the same ways that we touched on earlier, creating personal protective equipment um, and things of the like. And Jesse Yankee also mentioned a cool story about an entrepreneur she knew who she found to be quite shy, um, but was kind of forced out of her comfort zone to now host Facebook Live events to sell um, her clothing as kind of a way to keep her business alive. It was an opportunity for her to kind of expand outside of what she'd already done previously. Um, and also Cheryl Watkins Moore, I think, really said it best on how entrepreneurs are coping in the state. People always talk about sometimes the, the worst in humanity. I think we're seeing some of the best uh, when people are coming out, even at the detriment of themselves and their business. They're going out to support other, other um, folks or other organizations. And I'm just happy to see that. All right. Thank you, Isabel, for hosting that event today and for joining us back on Speaking Startup. Of course. Thanks. All right, Naomi, now we turn our attention to Phyllis Ellison, the Executive Director of Invest Midwest. The annual investment conference has been taking place since 2000. So how does this work? What is this conference? Every year, it brings together dozens of Midwestern startups to deliver pitches, seek funding, and network. And while the conference is normally held in St. Louis or Kansas City, this year, it's taking place online, May 5th and 6th. I mean, that sounds like a pretty massive undertaking. How does a conference like that pivot to virtual work so quickly? With a lot of help. <laughs> Invest Midwest this year partnered with Midwest Growth Capital Symposium, another venture conference for the 2020 Midwest Venture Showcase. The virtual conference will feature startups from 15 states all looking for funding, exposure, and networking opportunities. So how are they going to do this online? Well, I was able to sit down with Ellison to talk about the transition and what to expect from this year's event. So now we welcome on Phyllis Ellison. Phyllis, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. So what has the transition process been like for Invest Midwest going from an in-person conference to now an online conference due to the coronavirus? Well, this has been um, a big step for us after 20 years of holding live events and then having about 30 days to transition and recognizing um, that, that a, a live event for 300 people just wasn't going to be happening this year. Um, it's actually going really well. We're excited. Um, it's been an opportunity to look at some, some different platforms, uh, some of which we were going to be using anyway this year uh, as part of the the participant experience, even in a live event, and now really trying to expand the, the capabilities of these of, of those tools to make sure that they fit for um, a virtual event as well. Probably the biggest change we've had, which has really been exciting, is that we're partnering with the Midwest Growth Capital Symposium out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, they have run, uh, the MGCS has run uh, for 40 years, and I uh, was in the same situation. Normally their live event is held in the middle of May. 
And so it's been a great opportunity for us to explore a brand new partnership and bring both events together into an online platform. And so combined, there'll be about 70 companies um, that have pitches available, uh, plus uh, about 30 tech transfer um, uh, technologies or opportunities that, can, that are going to be shared. Uh, plus, we're working with the Capital Innovators Tech Accelerator out of St. Louis. And so their graduating cohort will be um, participating as well. So if an investor comes on, it's really going to give them a chance to see um, more than, if you will, just one event. Uh, but we're combining a number of activities together. And then I also wanted to ask on the flip side of that, what, what challenges come with that? I, I think for me, one of the biggest challenges you know, beyond just choosing a technology um, is trying to make sure that this is a, a beneficial experience. The day that we decided to, to, that we would be canceling the live event, one of our advisory board members had just been in a, a, a virtual conference, something that should have, that was going to be live. The travel was canceled. And so he sat online all day for seven or eight hours at this new virtual event. And his number one complaint was, he's like, I was bored and I sat there the whole time. He's like, it was just really long. How can we not do that <laughs> as, as we try to you know, look at transitioning investment west to, um, a virtual event. So um, everybody on the on the advisory board echoed that of, wow, that's a long time to ask people to sit and and just to transition something from in the exact same format from a live event to virtual. So that's something we stepped back and we're trying to look at. And so what we created was um, with Midwest um, Venture Showcase, this new combined event. Um, we try to create flexibility. There are no speakers to listen to for hours on end. Um, there are no things that lock you in of, of, I have to go sit on my computer for an hour or three hours in order to catch the pitch of a certain company. Um, we created it to be very flexible. And so people can log in. Once they register, they'll receive their login information. And when they're on the site, they'll actually get the chance to, um, they can pick an industry track. Um, so you could look at a life sciences track, medical devices, um, tech, um, ag and food. You can pick one of those industry tracks and look at all the companies that are in that. Or if you're five companies specifically and you only want to look at those videos, you can do that. Um, and you can do it at your pace. So whether you just want to skip your Netflix, um, you know, binge that night and instead you want to watch um, investor pitches, you can do that. You don't have to tune in at a specific time um, or else risk missing it. You can you can go in and, and explore this in your own time. So that's that's, I think, been both a challenge to make sure we kept it interesting. But I think we've created something that will have some flexibility to it that people can participate in. How is this affecting the transition online and obviously not the in-person companies that would normally be at the conference? How has this impacted them on uh, their relationships or, and meeting with investors and overall just the conference having to pivot online? 
I would say it, it's definitely impacted the companies in a couple of ways. First of all, the companies were incredibly grateful that there was still something happening. So I think they also brought a level of flexibility, knowing that the other option that we all would have faced was nothing. And so they really brought a spirit of creativity and openness to understanding what the transition was going to be. Um, so we launched on May 5th. All the videos will go up. Um, and the 6th and 7th, May 6th and 7th, um, we will have some uh, opportunities for companies to, uh, and for investors to get together and have some live chats. So we've gone ahead and scheduled those times. Um, if someone wants to come on and uh, we're using a platform called Meetaway that allows investors and startups, they'll just rotate through in 10 minute um, chats. And so they can spend 10 minutes um, in a video chat and be able to, to have that one-on-one -on -one as most as, as most as, <laughs> as we can possibly get right now, but that eye to eye, um, you know, conversation and have a chance to ask questions. So we've tried to create some of those experiences to mimic, um, if you will, that chat after a pitch or that meeting in the hallway, um, to, to experience that. So those are built in. Additionally, we, um, through the platform, uh, an investor and a, a company can also connect one-on-one -on -one and schedule their own time to talk. So where there is great interest or, um, you know, a, a curiosity to explore things further, they can schedule that time one-on-one -on -one and make sure that they're having that time. So by saying that then, and still having that one-on-one -on -one connection, or as, as you said, as closely as you can get to that one-on-one -on -one connection, what do you think that will mean and what do you think that will do for businesses that took advantage of the conference six to six months to even a year down the road? Oh, we hope that still translates through as investment happening. I think we have a couple situations going on right now. First of all, companies that are pitching recognize that most venture capital firms and investors are, are, are having to double down and support the companies that they've already invested in. And so that some of the, the attention as well as some additional capital might be deployed into existing investments for those VCs. Um, companies realize that. The flip side is um, the companies are mainly looking to build a relationship. And whether that investment comes in six months or 18 months, um, they are still looking for um, the connection and to build a relationship. So if, the, if this is an opportunity to catch an investor's eye and start a relationship, I consider that a success as well. Uh, we'd certainly look to see, you know, cash changing hands down the road, but um, it has to start somewhere. It has to start with a conversation and hopefully that can start here with the, the Midwest Venture um, Showcase. Okay, Phyllis, that's all I had for you. So I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us and speaking with us. And uh, thank you. Well, thank you. And um, I appreciate you having me on. All right, Max, you know what it's time for. It's time for us to give our digits, the numbers that matter in Missouri startup news. My digit this week is 46,481. 
That is a very specific number. That's right, specific indeed. In the first round of the U.S. Small Business Association, over 46,000 Paycheck Protection Program loans were approved in Missouri, totaling $7.5 million, according to the St. Louis Business Journal. And with another stimulus package expected to be arriving soon, another round of small business loans is to be expected. What's your digit, Naomi? My digit this week is 4 out of 10. Oh, interesting. That's new. I don't think we've ever done fractions before. What is that about? Well, four in 10 startups say they could go out of business in three months or less if they don't raise any more capital and if revenue and expenses remain steady. That's according to a new global survey conducted by Startup Genome, a research and advisory organization focused on startup ecosystems. This is up from three out of 10 startups back in December. Also in the survey, it seems efforts to seek investment are being set back. 53% of the survey takers said they have seen a significant slowdown in the funding process, and 20% said deals have been canceled by an investor. Well, that's just about a wrap, but before we get out of here, we need a closing thought. Well, I have one, like always. This one comes from Paige Oxendine from the eFactory in Springfield. She was one of the experts in the panel discussion about resilience we mentioned earlier, and she talked about how entrepreneurs are equipped to deal with difficult circumstances like the ones they're facing now. Persistence and, again, resiliency, which I know is a word that we've been using a lot here today, um, is what I think makes an entrepreneur an entrepreneur and is what will also equip them to come out of this situation. And that's all for this week. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Naomi Kling and me, Max Hogan. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next time.